Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. In today's show, I'm talking with Jacob, an award-winning businessman who, when becoming a dad, trades his city life for a remote homestead in northern British Columbia in Western Canada, where he and his wife are raising a farm, homeschooling his boys, and reconnecting with his indigenous roots. Jacob's parenting style is a reflection of his own childhood trauma, and he has some really interesting approaches and some great tips for other parents. Jacob is a great storyteller and has many insights to share, so please enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jacob, on Dab Without Borders. Um, Yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. Got lots of questions for you. Um, But yeah, maybe you could just start with uh, introducing where you are. And who your family is? Yeah, so uh, my name is Jacob Beaton. Uh, my tribal name is Chapakatwinskik. Um, I live in a small town called Kitwinga, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, we're located somewhat near the coast. Um, if you're looking on a map between Prince George and Prince Rupert, we're quite a bit closer to Prince Rupert near the city of Terrace, about an hour outside of Terrace. Um, yeah. And who, so two boys, raising two boys, right? And who yes. are, maybe you could just introduce them. Yeah, so I have, uh, I'm married with two boys. Uh, their names are Noah, he's 14, and Ezra, he's 12, turning 13 this week. Um, you. And you're raising them both, they're both being homeschooled, right? That's right, yeah. So is that from the beginning? Like, how did that come about? Yes. That's a great question and a really important question too, like when we're talking about being dads and raising um, kids and, and in my case, boys. Um, so it came from my own history of um, having what my mother's described as a hellish childhood, um, being diagnosed as learning disabled when I wasn't and being streamed off in, in, in as a disabled learning disabled person in school. Um, and uh, yeah, just struggling with, uh, for me, I really struggled with low self-esteem, uh, with everything going on at home and then struggling at school, like being an introvert and um, being thrust into the, the you know, crazy Lord of the Flies type situation that, that would happen at school so many times for me. Being mixed race made it extra difficult. I experienced a lot of violence at school. I got beat up a lot. Um, and, uh, I really, yeah, when I became a dad, I was going through actually super intense therapy and, and I, and I became very protective of my son. Actually, I ended up being the main parent to my oldest son. I, uh, uh, he was really colicky and struggled. Um, he's now self-identified as being on the uh, autism spectrum. Um, and he just, one of the symptoms, he just wouldn't sleep. Um, and so, uh, 
and my wife is exhausted with her second child, which was unplanned. So, was, you know, call them uh, Irish twins or something like a little too close together. Uh, <laughs> so she was exhausted. So the, the parenting duties uh, fell on me, which was a great gift. And I'd also just wound down one of my companies and had gone to being home-based. So I could basically have a baby strapped to me all day long. Um, so I, I really bonded with Noah um, and, and learned an important lesson, which is that the gender roles that are so often thrust on us, like, oh, the first however many years belong to the mother, and then the next however many years belong to the father, are complete bullcrap, right? Like, total, does, it, it, they'll bond to whoever takes care of them, whoever loves them. And, and I found that with Noah. So, so yeah, I, I became really invested in um, just him as a baby and a toddler and growing up. And when it came time for him to go to school, and there were quite a few times where I sort of really extended myself saying, no, we're not going to do this. Like, no, this just feels wrong. Like just in my gut and in my heart, taking this like precious human that I, that's bonded to me and I to him and dropping him off with a bunch of strangers, like just suddenly without any warning uh, in school, it just feels wrong. Like if, if you were to really connect to it, like in yourself, like how did it feel when it happened to you, Start for starters? Um, and then, and then extend beyond that to how does it feel now? It's like, it just, just beyond your head and into your body. Like, how does this feel taking this like precious human that you are bonded to and just like, see you later. I'll pick you up. And did, so did it ever happen? Did you go, was there a period of time when, yeah, we tried. Yeah. And it, and it, um, my wife actually, so the compromise that my wife would go with him to school and just sort of sit in the classroom and just be there if he needed her. Um, and she actually came back crying and said, I can't do it. It feels like jail. Like, it just feels like um, the kids are all sad and the classroom just feels sad. And they're, they're um, you know, already trying to be taught to sit in desks in rows and stand in lines and not allowed to play, which, gosh, for a four or five-year-old, is like crazy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was around that time that a good friend of mine gave me a book called Protecting the Emotional Lives of Boys. Um, and it was written by some psychologists in the United States who worked their whole careers with uh, boys in school systems. So I think there's three or four of them that came together to write this book. And it just completely um, turned us and me away from the school system as not being the right way, if you can at all afford it, uh, not the right way to raise children, but especially boys. And the basic thesis statement of it is that um, boys and girls even out at age 12 in terms of their physical, mental, emotional, like the, the, the biological development, that you take a 12-year-old boy, a 12-year-old girl, and they'd be more or less equal, uh, all other things being equal, but that the physical development of the genders differs up to age 12, which is that boys excel in the motor functions typically, not always, but typically, and they've got all the scientific data, you know, where they tested it. And then and the females um, tend to excel at the um, fine motor skills and 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 the, and the things like language, um, and I really saw that with my kids. I was my boy's two-year-old birthday invited over as contemporaries, and I was proud that he could say like "baba" and "boots" and "dad" and "mom." And then you know this little girl who was born the same week as him comes in and is like, "Excuse me, Jacob, can I please have a glass of water?" And I almost <laughs> fell over. Like, what? It's possible for a two-year two-year-old to speak like this like, <laughs> like I, I was just completely blown away and um so anyways uh yeah so I, I read this book and, and it really kind of impressed on me because the thesis going back to it is that 
Um, boys naturally are going to be kind of rambunctious. Typically, again, they're not this not this not universal truth, but it's like generally. Um, and then they're not going to be very verbal. And then you go into a school system at kindergarten, and you're expected to be highly verbal. Fine motor skills are valued above the, the macro motor skills. And if you're uh, rambunctious or you want to go play outside, you're punished. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that by the time you get to the point as a boy where you're kind of ready to settle down into a desk and you you're really wanting to sort of read books and study things and um, you've already learned that you're a failure you've already learned right. in the school system that you're a problem that you're bad yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and so a, so they were saying a lot of boys have given up by the time they hit age 12 13 oh interesting yeah and then they were sort of showing like in the book too that just the data right like graduation rates of boys versus girls uh you know success you know in life in general and if it weren't for the fact that our society is very male dominated, you know, basically women would be running everything based on because men would just be dropping out and failing and yeah, uh, boys. So, so we, we, uh, we did try school um, for, I think it was a week with Noah. And then uh, uh, we decided to pull him out of school. Uh, we tried distance education and what we really ended up landing on, and this is a long answer to a short question, but I think it's an important discussion is we ended up landing on, um, after a couple of years, something that we generally call unschooling. But that was like something I wanted to ask if that was your approach, yeah. Yeah, unschooling with an indigenous view to it. So like a pure unschoolers would say we're not unschoolers because unschoolers, the, the, the basic idea or sort of religion of it is that you let your kids just do whatever they want. Like you, you take them, yeah. take all kind of academic type expectation and structure away and if somebody just wants to video, like a famous example, somebody wants to just video game all day, then you let them video game all day. Yeah. Uh, we did not do that with our kids. We, we, um, what we did is we took away all the academic expectation, but we um, tried to implement other expectations like, um, like contributing as part of the family, having some responsibilities that started as very minimal when they're really small and kind of ramping up um, discipline, um, like being able to focus on something and complete it. Um, but the main thing that, that is kind of very indigenous is the belief that everybody has um, a set of gifts that is different there that you can't expect everybody to be equal at math at the same age. That's just yeah. stupid. But that, that there's some people who love math and should be like allowed to flourish at math at that age. Um, so with us, that's where, um, coming just full circle to what you said before, with Ezra, he really landed very early. This is the thing that blew my mind. It's like, people are like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life, or I don't know what my kids are good at. It was so obvious to us. Yeah. So obvious, so early, like, and, and it's been consistent. Like, it's just been amazing. And it was an Indigenous community that mentored us in this, that took over their education system and re-geared it all towards focusing on gifts. Yeah, and identifying them as early as possible and then matching those children with adults who have the same gifts basically to, to so to find of, a mentor that they can kind of yeah. work with and grow exactly so, where, so when you say this indigenous community is it your indigenous community that no it's actually one near vancouver that i was doing work for and they um started inviting us into their cultural um uh processes that included um child like welcoming children to the world included um raising children included children's coming of age ceremonies which were just unbelievably powerful like so like it, to us we went in and experienced it and we're like okay this is a very high bar for us that we would like to achieve with our own children 
uh, because we had never seen children so self-actualized ever. And, and honestly, I haven't since. Like, like um, my kids, I would say, haven't reached that far, partly because we're on our own, right? We're not part of a right. community that's um, invested in kind of pulling all in the same direction. Um, yeah. So we've done the best we can as two parents, but we learned very early on we're, we're outgunned. Um, I can't imagine being a single parent. Like I, I, I have a lot of single parent friends and I'm just like, holy cow, it's hard enough as two parents. Um, totally. So yeah, we ex had this experience in this community near Vancouver and uh, we just saw, like we showed up uh, for the ceremony that ended up going all night. And we were greeted just by kids playing in the dirt, literally playing in the dirt with trucks and they were little kids. And, and they stopped and they saw us and we got out of the car and normally kids ignore you if you're an adult and they saw us and they looked right at us and said, hi. Um, and they started introducing themselves like, my name's so-and-so, my name's so-and-so, what's your name? Yeah. And Jess and I were just shocked. We just come from Victoria and we're just like, uh, I'm Jacob, like small human talking to me. This is a weird <laughs> experience. <laughs> and this is Jessica. And they're like, oh, well, welcome, Jacob. Welcome, Jessica. And these are all boys too. Yeah. Uh, I hope you have a good day. And then they all like, yeah, have a good day. And then they get back down and start crashing their cars in the dirt. And we were just like, what just happened? Like, oh my goodness. And then we go in, we watch these kids coming of age, like through puberty. And basically they're getting their adult names and just right. the strength and beauty in which they've stood through this whole ceremony and just all the love that the entire longhouse was putting into them. It still raises my, my wow. hair to this day. And when we just cried. And wow. uh, that was when we decided to have kids, actually. It was like basically like, okay, it's possible, like just seeing that it's possible to have and raise beautiful children that right. aren't sort of deeply traumatized like we are. Yeah. Um, just that possibility. We were like, hey, we want to do this. We want to give it a shot. So you, did, you, from a young age, you didn't know whether you would want to be a dad? That's like right. How did, how did your upbringing influence that? Just to yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Yeah, I um, so I was raised in a family with a you know um, a lot of trauma. Um, my both both sides, like my dad, who's non-indigenous, is white. Um, he he was raised around a lot of violence, um, so he was very violent with me. Um, and then my mom, uh, she was raised by a father who was deeply damaged by Indian residential schools and his and her her grandmother as well um and so the home i grew up in was physically violent uh emotionally violent um and sexually violent um it was just a. it's still like i've done what feels like decades of therapy and i still see a therapist once a week and i still struggle with it it's it, it was not like it wasn't universally or all bad at all but it, it, it's that um, death of a thousand paper cuts, right? Like repeated traumas over and over and over and over and over again, like through your whole childhood. Um, and, and I, a, and I, yeah. So, I so say, I, go on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so as a young guy thinking about having kids, I never really thought I would have kids, I guess. I, yeah. I, I, I felt like I was too damaged. Um, and, and honestly, I think I was. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, um, but then seeing a path that, oh, no, it's possible, like, to um, 
have this beauty and, and this, 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 this experience um, really inspired me. Um, and it would have been around that time that I started going to therapy as well. And I can't remember exactly, maybe it was a little bit before then that I, I, uh, I had a, a pretty horrible experience and where I was starting to act the way that my, the adults that I grew up around acted. And I was just like, oh no, like I had enough, you know, that self-awareness, right? Like that third person perspective on myself to be just like, like panicking, like, oh no, like I, I, I said, I would never become this person and here I am. Right. Um, you know, as an early 20 something young, young man, um, behaving in a violent way, you know, um, in, a, in ways that terrified me as a child. Um, and so I was really hungry to, to um, uh, turn, the, not necessarily turn it around, but, but to uh, start changing. Did, um, have you found it a healing process being a dad? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I, since I have zero regrets about being a dad at all, I, uh, you know, it's, um, I mean, I don't expect my kids to heal me and, and I'm actually try really hard to keep my own suffering away from them as much as possible. Um, but the experience of being a father and, uh, it's been such a gift, um, and many, many, many times over. Yeah. Uh, and, and from my own personal perspective and, and, and experience, it's, um, it's really expanded me as a person. We've been privileged to be able to homeschool. Um, but, and I say that because a lot of our friends would say, oh, I wish I could do it. You know, I really wish I could homeschool. Like they really have seen what we do and they love it. And they're really inspired. Like I, one friend in particular, he's a single dad and he just can't, right? He just has to send his kids to school in order to yeah. function, in order to work. Um, and, and, um, most of our friends, even in, in Vancouver being such an expensive city, uh, again, so many of our friends, uh, would be like, man, I really wish we could homeschool, but both of our parents have to work in order to pay our rent and buy our food and have our lifestyle. We're not out there preaching and saying everybody should, should homeschool. Cause that would be a really unfair thing to say to, um, the, the huge, uh, the large amounts of people that can't, yeah. um, you know, they're not in a place where they're able to. I will say, though, <laughs> if anybody's sitting in, you know, a place like Vancouver and, and, and nodding their heads, like we were in Victoria, which at the time was only slightly less expensive than Vancouver, when we got pregnant. And we um, made the conscious decision to relocate somewhere where we could afford to go down to a single income, just so like, forget, even forgetting about school, just so that one of the parents could parent. So we didn't have to like hire a nanny or drop the kids off at the daycare and have someone else take care of our baby. Yeah. So, um, cause we were both working when, when, um, when we got pregnant with Noah. So, so, so that is an option. I'll just say, I mean, it, it can seem like a radical one and it was for us, it was a hugely radical thing. Like I had staff and I had offices and I ended up shutting it all down. Um, and, uh, we were living in an apartment and we, uh, within, I think, three months, we went from not knowing what to do to having uh, to starting the, the business wind down, uh, looking for real estate, and finding it, putting the offer, negotiating it, buying it, and moving. So within three months, all of that happened. And we oh, wow. Were in a totally new house in a small town that's beautiful, very affordable, Are wonderful this where, community. Is this where you are now? Uh, pretty close. Yeah, it's the next right. town over. Uh, it was where we landed first and it was just like uh it was a beautiful it was like unbelievable blue <laughs> like we 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 went from like it was just like 
waking up in a dreamland to us, right? Because uh, it was so much better than we ever could have imagined because we went from this apartment in the city and we liked the city, nothing against it. Um, lots of awesome things about the city. But then we yeah. go up to this picturesque, beautiful little town, find a super cheap house. I think we paid $123,000 for it. And it was like huge, like six bedrooms, and oh, wow. two bathrooms and utility room. And on like a three quarters of an acre lot, you know, where you could have gardens, huge gardens and um, backing up onto a river. And, uh, you know, our neighbor was a hereditary chief and award-winning carver who would like be out there carving in his backyard, invite us over. And it wow. was just, and then the crazy thing is, is that I was able to reduce my working time to basically, I think it was two or three days a week. And then my wife was able to quit work altogether and we made more money because we wow so what were you doing what so you're you obviously you shifted locations but what did you do differently yeah in your career? So I, I had a i had a business that was a um communications agency so we were doing branding marketing um graphic design websites video productions things like that and uh and books we were we were producing uh printed printed books um and uh yeah i had staff I had a project manager and staff and um we basically wound that down and I ended up working out of my basement. And so I just went down to a very small client list, uh, just myself freelancing basically. And, uh, and, and, and the big thing was just the cost of living difference, like going from um, this, this high rent and this high cost of living where you got to pay for everything, parking, you know, you know, $7 for coffee or whatever to, to this place where we bought this house and our mortgage was like 700 bucks a month. Right. Right. And, uh, right. and our taxes went down and everything went down, right. Our yeah, travel yeah. costs went down, um, everything, uh, decreased and, um, yeah, we actually ended up being able to put extra money onto our mortgage at the end of that year, which was really cool. And, um, yeah, I eventually ended up expanding the business again. I reopened with more offices and, um, but is this something that's, ha that's still happening? Because I feel like now you've transitioned to farming. Is that fair to say? Yeah, really quick. Uh, I went from that business. I sold it in 2012. Yeah. Went and lived in Vancouver for two years. Um, uh -huh. Was vice president of a uh, company down there that basically bought my company. Um, left Vancouver, came back up here, worked all over the place. Um, left that company um after three years and um started business consulting which uh went really well the last couple of years and then i have basically wound down my business consulting now to get the farm like to seriously put the time and energy into our food sovereignty business right wow um, which is what we're doing now so we're that's, in the startup so that's phase. the full-time gig startup phase Full, full-time, double full-time. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. Yeah, yeah, it's not an easy life as a farmer. So, the, so which is great for raising the kids because they're getting to learn how to grow food, where yes. the food comes from, hands in the dirt, really yes. grounding, great way to, yeah. I mean, I can't, it's, we were talking about it, like me and my partner Sage, um, or wife Sage, I should say, uh, about just that, about how much we would love to be able to do sort of essentially what you're doing. I yes. don't know we'd be, we would take it to the scale that you're doing. Um, <laughs> we didn't know either. We did not plan on being farmers. Like when we moved here two years ago, we had a property development business, which I forgot to mention. We had a few rental houses that we developed um, and we sort of liquidated them, sold them to buy the farm. We were really doing it for our boys and ourselves, but, but uh, it was a very 
very conscious decision. My wife and I had a heart to heart and just firmly decided, okay, we're going to take a bit of a left turn or whatever. And, uh, and we're going to homestead. So our whole plan was basically to reduce our overhead and, and just get right back to the basics. Um, we're really worried about the future with uh, global warming becoming rampant with um, the wildfires that happened up here. I don't know if anybody still remembers, but we had like the California, um, Australia equivalent wildfires here in BC uh, three years ago yeah. that scorched a huge, like as far as the eye can see, uh, parts of our province up here. And it really impacted us because we felt incredibly vulnerable. We felt like, um, um, and I know friends are going through this elsewhere in the world. Like I got a friend in, um, that experienced in the wildfire region of um, Southern Oregon that's moving to the East Coast just because feeling unsafe and insecure. So we went through that ourselves and thought we don't wanna leave the area because we love it here. We love the culture, we love the people, we love the landscape, everything about it, the climate. Um, but we'd like to just be more self-sufficient. Yeah. So I think, I think some people call us preppers. We don't consider ourselves preppers, but we just wanted to move from the yeah, well sensible. Of, I mean, look at, COVID, well, look at what happened with the COVID pandemic. Suddenly you can't yeah. toilet roll and the world falls apart. We felt very wise, like, like as if we had some crystal ball, because that's what people were saying. We, we, we were really well set up, um, when COVID hit, uh, but our, our plan was just to be, um, homesteaders and to get the kids into trades and things that they um that we just think are, are going to be more valuable uh as the future gets more unstable uh with things like pandemics and global yeah, warming yeah. and economic stuff and oh absolutely yeah things and whatever so we just wanted like the basics right we're not trying to turn them into you know anything that they're not but yeah. just to say hey we want you to be problem solvers we want you to be good communicators and team builders and we want you to have the sort of these basic um, skills um, that we think are important. Have you introduced yeah. the boys to hunting absolutely. and foraging? And yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So, yes, I've introduced them to hunting and foraging. My eldest Noah uh, is an avid rifleman. He loves to shoot. Um, he has a twenty-two that he's put many thousands of rounds through. I, I, I'm actually. Um, his Christmas present is going to be a new one that we haven't bought him it yet because we just haven't had time to kind of go shopping <laughs> for a new <laughs> rifle for him. But um, what a beautiful experience hunting can be. Um, I, I'm very particular about how I hunt. Um, and, and I believe that Noah has learned, he has a beautiful um, way that he hunts because he loves to eat meat and he really enjoys um hunting but he has a really hard time killing animals um, and seeing them suffer and he loves animals and i and i'm very similar myself um i so uh, i don't enjoy um, killing animals but i'm one of the ones that thinks hey if you're going to eat it you know what it helps to, to to kill it and know that when you're eating meat an animal has to die i think that's just a healthy thing so um yeah he had this experience last year that was so tragic and sweet but it, it made me realize he's going to be a, a really good hunter where he was hunting squirrel um here on the farm and uh yes we eat them <laughs> and they taste fine and <laughs> they eat nuts so they taste good <laughs> um and he and i get him to do it all i taught him how to do it so he does all the dressing everything like i, I don't i don't uh, do it or, or my wife doesn't um and uh yeah and he'd, he'd missed his shot and he had actually sh shot off his jaw and 
the squirrel had come down off the tree and was basically on the ground suffering. And, she, and, he, and, he, and he radioed the story because we have radios on the farm just for safety. So we can always keep in touch or if anything happens or emergency. So he, he radioed the whole story and it was interesting. We had a whole crew of uh, people from a community and they all listened. And it was almost like we were all just like really kind of respecting his experience, which was that, that the squirrel suffered and, and he felt and he was just crying. And he ended up having to kill it with his bare hands because he had um, not brought enough ammunition. So he had, he had uh, made a mistake there. And then, uh, so he ended up having to kill it with his bare hands. And I thought, okay, that's, he's never gonna hunt again. You know, like that was just too traumatic for him. Uh, it was what a, like I have never had to do that myself. And, um, and then, uh, uh, and he was just genuinely heartbroken. But um, he, afterwards when we talked about it, he said, yeah, I still want to hunt, you know, because uh, I, I'm going to learn from my mistakes and, and I never want to go through that again. And he, and he has continued to hunt. Um, and, and it just made my heart warm knowing that he had the respect and compassion for, for animals, um, but that he was willing to do it anyways. Uh, I think that's a mark of a good hunter. Um, along with the technical skills, right? Like being a safe, really, like we're really strict with our kids with guns. But my philosophy, again, it's, 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 it's very indigenous. <laughs> you look at like the Inuit, they, they introduce their children to knives at a very, very young age, like age four, I believe, approximately. I'm sure, it's different for each kid. Um, I've done the same thing with my boys. So I wanted to share that because I started them shooting as soon as they express an interest in it and as soon as um, they could cognitively be really safe. Um, so that meant seven, age seven for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually worked our way up from Nerf guns to uh, pellet gun and then to firearms. So we would. We that would sounds like up. a good safe approach. I like that. It was really good. Yeah, it worked fantastic. And knock on wood, no near misses or accidents so yeah. far. Um, so, and, I was going to say, were you? So were you raised learning how to hunt? No, not at all. I, I, uh, I, I had to learn um, later in my 20s. Um, and uh, I, I uh, had a similar experience to Noah. First time I hunted a, um, a large game animal. And uh, yeah, it was it was a profound experience. And, and I was with teachers who were indigenous and, and, and were very much about like the heart of it, like not not looking for like the biggest animal not being ego driven um but but being really respectful and connecting right. with the animal right. uh, so even like there's ceremony that you go through like after you kill the animal you're like touching it you're holding it you're thanking it you're leaving an offering um to to um you know yeah you leave an offering and then uh, in this particular community i always follow the protocols of wherever we are and then this one their protocol was that that you um take take a bit of the uh kidney i think it was and, and you eat it so i did that it tastes horrible wow yeah <laughs> so um yeah so i I've, I've learned more um yeah definitely as an adult um my neither of my parents were hunters or or, right. or gatherers so did you uh, or farmers <laughs> or yeah, <business> wondering... <laughs> so when so when you were raised were you raised like you know, what sort of cultural learning do you have as you were growing up or was that limited? It was very limited. Yeah. My mom, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't even aware that I wasn't white, I guess, like hundred percent white until I uh, was probably like seven or eight years old and uh, went to a school that was a uh, mixed race, you know? Um, and, uh, and then I started, you know, getting called names and, um, 
and and that's kind of uh, and then I and then I, I remember being kind of confused and um, yeah. So I my mother didn't really have any culture, very much culture to pass on to me that was sort of positive because her father was an Indian residential school survivor, and um, he refused to pass it on. Um, her grandmother, who was I got to meet, she died around age 100. Uh, really interesting lady, uh, a cultural, like she, she knew a lot, but she also went to residential school um, as an older child and uh, was indoctrinated with the fact, with not the fact, but she, to her, it was this fact that uh, indigenous culture was from the devil um, because that was what, what was taught in residential schools. And so if you practiced any of it or talked of it, then, then you were evil or you were, you know, yeah, dancing yeah. with the devil kind of thing. Um, um so yeah so i i didn't really grow up with it. it 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 was one of those things where you know and you get beat up for being whatever some something else you see shame start, i would imagine yeah well you see there's that Confusion. and then you also start to fight back a little bit or 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 being like okay well if, if i'm an indian then um, i guess uh that's what i am and i'm gonna hang out with the indians or whatever right like um so i kind of got pushed into the away from like sort of white crowd into indigenous just because i'm part indigenous and, and the irony of it is i'm only a quarter by blood but um but that's just how you're labeled and so have you very much embraced that now um pretty much yeah it, it, it's a complicated thing though like cultural identity especially with first nations indigenous people in north america um there's such a we have such a um traumatic history um, there's tons of victim blaming that still goes on today, um, where you, you can be struggling with this uh, trauma from these institutional horrible experiences uh, that have been passed down to you um, and are being passed down today. And, and instead of it being like, wow, that really sucks what happened to Indigenous people in Canada. Wow, I can't believe it. That, that's just the most horrible thing I've ever heard of. Instead of that, it's like, oh, they're, they're struggling because they're Indigenous, you know, because they're basically there's this attitude in Canada that Indigenous people are racially inferior because that's what you're saying. Like when you're saying that, um, like my wife runs into this all the time, like, oh, oh, those people, they just don't know how to be parents. They've just never, you know, like there's this insinuation that somehow you're genetically unable to be a parent if you're Indigenous or you're, 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 you're genetically dispossessed to be unhealthy or have bad habits or, or, or not be able to have a clean yard or whatever. There's all these horrible... Um, racist things that people think and say all the time that uh is rooted in this like um really old style of racism or uh and isn't at all rooted in understanding or compassion or 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 even yeah thinking like this really unfair so yeah i mean i <clears throat> um something i should mention for my own uh, upbringing is we we're really low income uh, for a long time in my childhood, well, my formative years, and we we moved a lot, so I went to a lot of different schools. So I got to experience. I got a large sample size of cultural Canadian experience oh, yeah. in, in school as a uh, you know not 100% white kid, um, and uh, it was pretty universally bad. I mean, I, there there was uh, a lot of um, yeah, there were a lot of negative experiences for me growing yeah, up. Yeah. So I didn't really get exposed to the culture until my mom started to get interested in it which is when i was like age 12. um so prior to that it would kind of like be like well i would stand up for other you know be kind of back in the corner with other indigenous people and sort of stand up 
you know, for ourselves, because that's where I was being pushed. But I didn't really know anything. I didn't really know the language. I didn't really know the culture, uh, not the positive parts of the culture. I didn't know the history at all, I didn't know our contemporary history or cultural history. Um, so it wasn't until I was age 12 that I started to get exposed to it um, because my mother was starting to re-educate herself. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. And so and, how, how important is that for you now then? with the boys are you really conscious of that like if you are you embracing that side of things or it's a good question um yes and no i mean i i've been careful to try and adopt sort of perspectives and values and teachings uh without making it sort of a religion or like you have to think this or do that or whatever um and and i also grew up religious and uh it's one of the things that i kind of I'm careful about now is, 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 is staying away from religious type structures of thinking or organization of things. Um, so I do that with my kids, with my boys, um, where uh, I'm happy to expose them to indigenous teachings and experiences, but I leave it up to them to claim it. Um, I don't, I don't in, insist that they um, think or do or act. In is there, and sorry to jump in, is your, is their mum indigenous? No, she's not, which is a whole other interesting story because <laughs> my wife's dad uh, was traumatized in Indian residential school. Um, and we're still trying to sort out her history, but she got a DNA test and she's genetically, she's, she's white. Um, but there was some confusion for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's part of what attracted um us to each other is, I think, a, a similar upbringing, a similar experience. Right. Uh, we kind of really clicked um, because we had some of the same traumas and experiences. Um, and and I just found I felt I like she could see me and understand me, and maybe she felt the same way. I felt like living in Victoria that I was just like sort of weird alien anomaly, and uh, wasn't really sort of clicking with with many people and then i met her and we had this fantastic conversation she just kind of got it right and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and we, we we sort of clicked but yeah she's 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 not indigenous and it's something she's quite aware of right like careful about herself um and the kids they actually self-identified as indigenous uh when they were quite small which was really sweet and cute um and they were they've i think kind of moved away from it a bit um in the last yeah. few years where they've actually taken on more of sort of a, you know, in quotation marks, settler identity, right? Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're they're allies to the extreme, I would say. Like, you oh know, yeah, yeah. They, they, because they're higher confidence, like they've they've been raised to be more confident, right, than I ever was. I mean, big differences in parenting. Like, I allowed them. It's part of reading these books, right? Like, cause I had to learn everything myself. I feel like as a parent and as an adult. Um, but one of the really interesting teachings is if you want your child to stand up for themselves out in the world, you have to let them stand up for themselves in the home. You can't oppress a child and try and control them and manipulate them in the home and then expect them to go out there and stand up for themselves. It, 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 they have to practice it at home. So I did that quite consciously with my boys starting at a very young age where I would basically allow them to, um, you know, yell at me if they felt like they needed to yell at me or or argue with me about something on a point. Um, like when you say them. young, how long, how young are you thinking? Because I have a, uh, our like, two year old right now is very stubborn. Yeah. And I've definitely, um, I, 
I definitely listen to kids. I talk with them. I, I like to reason them with them somewhat, but I definitely have, and maybe this is the outdoor educator for 20 years, yeah. boundaries. And they know yeah. where the boundary is and where they can push and where they can't. So yeah. yeah, I'm wondering what age and give us an example of where you'd I'll give you an example. Go. Yeah, I, uh, um, one of my favorite examples is when they were quite small. So probably like two and three or three and four, like they're very small and they were having a drawn out, like this is the thing with kids close in age. They're just having this drawn out, like full on battle. Right. And they're physically hurting each other and screaming at the top of their lungs. So I run in there and, and, and I removed the aggressor. Like I literally scooped them up off the floor and said, you, you need to have a timeout. Like, like I'm going to put you in your room. You're going to cool down. And I picked them up and the other one, I don't remember which is which anymore, but the other one who was not the aggressor, like not the one beating on the other one stood up to me, like got in my way and said, put my brother down right now. And I was shocked. I was like, I thought you would want me to like punish your brother. He's like, you, because he then, his brothers, I pick on him and he's screaming, no, I don't want a timeout, blah, blah, blah. And he starts defending his brother. He comes up, he starts pounding on my leg, like, put him down, put him down. And so I'm like, I just surrendered, right? I was just like, okay, if you feel strongly, like, I, I want you to defend your brother. Okay, here you go. You know, here's your brother back that you were just beating on five seconds ago. But now you're protecting him. And that so, bond, eh? Yeah. So I put him down, and and I just said, okay, right? Like I like my experience as a kid, and my parents never would have done that. I don't have right. any recollection of them ever changing their their mind or direction based on what I had to say. Yeah. Um. So I've done that with my kids, and so they're much more vocal out in the community about their their beliefs and their convictions, and like you know. Um, if they see somebody bullying or being right. racist or or doing something inappropriate, yeah. they're much more. They, they'll they'll they have the confidence up. to do it because you yeah. haven't been squashing them in the home. Exactly. Like. I we I mean I do. Unfortunately, I'm a really imperfect parent, and I do. You know, it's it's that deep etches of my own conditioning and my own experience. Like I I am an oppressive parent, um, and it sucks. And I and and, and they're definitely taking damage. But they are, I feel like, and in my experience of them, is they have a lot more confidence than I did. Another yeah. example, I heard about this relatively recently. It kind of shocked me. Like, they never even told me, but I, I started allowing them to go shopping at the store on their own years ago, like when they were like eight and nine or something. Yeah. Um, I felt like, okay, they know things well enough and kind of guided them enough that they can do this. So they, they went to the store. And uh, a lady saw Noah and, and like said something about him being a cutie or something and reached and smacked his bum and uh, or, or like grabbed or touched his bum somehow. Yeah. Um, and he apparently, according to them, <laughs> again, I heard the story years later, he, t he turned around and, and said to her right in the middle of the story, you, you like, you did not have consent to touch my body. You cannot touch my body <laughs> or something like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just like lecturing this much older, much bigger lady uh, about touching the bum, right? And um, uh, so I was really proud of him. I was just like, yeah. wow, that's great. You know, good for you, you know, and I bet you she'll never touch your bum again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's got his boundaries. It's good. Yeah. You've done well. He's, you've instilled a sense of confidence with him for sure. Yeah. So, and so you're raising him there in this way of giving them space and building their confidence and letting them explore the world with a lot more freedom. I think maybe a lot of parents do. Do yeah. you think that's helped them? 
um find their passion and find their groove oh, for sure yeah because one's yeah. into music right and then the other yeah. one seems to uh, very much into the growing and gardening yeah. farming aspect of your life yeah yeah so noah's uh, our oldest he's um always been into cars since he was a little little baby like it was one of the first things he'd get excited about when he was uh almost a newborn seeing vehicles and um he's always been passionate about them so um he uh, learned to drive when he was nine years old um part of learning to drive is learning to fix a car so his first car he drove was a car that uh, had been left in the bush for 14 years and a tree's growing through it and we uh a mechanic friend and us um, basically uh, cut down the trees and, and re restored it to running order, which was just a wow. fantastic experience for all of us and for him. Uh, and then it's a stick shift. So he learned to drive stick. And then his younger brother, who was seven at the time, learned at the same time. So Ezra learned at seven. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And then our mechanic <laughs> friend, do built, it, I guess you must have a big, big chunk of space well, to have a seven year old drive in. Yeah, we lived in a, that's a great question. We lived in a, in, in a regular house, but our mechanic friend has a, multiple acres in a big field. So he actually went out and built them a dirt track, a quarter mile racetrack. Um, so at age uh, seven and nine, they were literally racing around the dirt track. And if you are on my Facebook on the right day, when the right memory pops up, you can see the video footage of my first time driving around the dirt track with Noah freaking out, like trying to stay calm, being like, whoa, watch out. <laughs> and he's just like, but the amazing thing is you start kids young, Blue, like, and, and they, they, their brains are just the most phenomenal. Like I have never seen somebody learn stick shift as fast as a seven and nine year old. Like we're talking minutes. They had it down. Wow. And then, and then driving as well. Like uh, Noah has never had an accident. He's never hit anything. He's never crashed. He's never had an incident. Um, and he can race. He can go fast. Um, wow. And his, his motor skills are just off the charts when it comes to driving. Yeah. Um, partly I think because he started so young and, and, and so that was his passion and we didn't say, Hey, you're going to be a driver. You're going to race cars. That was a hundred percent him, um, leading that one. And then me just facilitating it. Right. Um, this, the growing passion was around the same age, I think, uh, eight or nine. Yeah. Um, he just, uh, really fell in love with growing. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so that's Noah. a lot of his passions are kind of branches off of things, right? So the driving yeah. is a passion and so the mechanics is a passion because it required to drive, right? Yeah, and, totally. And same thing with with growing, right? Like he'll do the things he doesn't particularly love, like operating a tractor. He loves to drive cars, but he's not a big tractor guy. But he'll yeah. do it because it's part of the other passion. Right. Um yeah. And then Ezra, uh his his is music and art big time. He's he's uh uh, and he's got a bit of an engineering mind. He he uh, is a phenomenal builder um, with like Lego. He he will um, just create these most amazing scenes and creations out of Lego. I mean, he does it um, almost obsessively. And he's and he's gotten to the point where he just can can have this image in his mind that's very complicated, and he'll go and create it from scratch from from these Lego bins he has sorted. And uh, that just blows me away. And then uh, his music is really great too. Um, and have you and, found and music? I was going to say, have you found mentors, mentors for him, like yeah. as a musician? Like, are there people yes. around that he can learn from? You got it, a hundred percent. So I'm not a musician. I uh, learned with him for a while, and uh, he quickly eclipsed me. Like within a month, he was way ahead of me. 
Um, and then uh, his grandfather, his surviving grandfather, is uh, a musician and uh, teaches him. And then we um, hired a young guy in town who was like a front man for a really cool local band that was award winning. Um, and uh, we hired him as a mentor. And so Ezra would go and spend a day or like a session a week uh, with, with him. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how we do it. It's, and what uh, about the, um, are, you the, are you mentoring Noah, Noah in terms no, of growing no, or is not, he mentoring you? Not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So with Noah, um, I have a, we have a friend that's a mechanic that mentors him on the mechanics. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And that uh, also on the driving. So this friend also used to race and um, is, is a, got a lot of experience there um i i'll mention him a bit here and there right like with whatever i can um you know he also loves to hunt as i mentioned earlier noah's an avid hunter uh i'm a bit more in my element there um and then with the farming um say i i've really thrown myself into farming so um noah and i are kind of learning together i don't know if i'm mentoring him but we're kind of we can walk in parallel on the farming journey. <laughs> That's kind of great. To, I've talked about this before, but it's great to learn something with your kid. Yes. I think there's something, and with your partner too, there's something really special yeah. about that. It's a really great bonding experience, I think, learning something yeah. and being on the same page. So no one's kind of above, you know, you're equal. Yes. I, uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, um, I wanted to mention that uh, talk about some of the challenges we have um and this is a really interesting one is that i don't know why i have my own theories but it's been hard to motivate our kids um they my theory is that they are too comfortable that there isn't the kind of um the, the bitter that makes the sweet sweet uh, as much. Right. right. Um, and that's been a, like one example with, uh, I, we really noticed is that the school kids, we call them the school kids, the kids, the friends that go to school that they're friends with. And that's something I'll mention is our kids have a really good social network. They have <laughs> a good like, community locally, or is this a yeah. community online? No, it's local. Yeah, no, they've, they've always had like a, quite a few friends, a lot more than I had as a child, as a school kid. Um, and our house, uh, when we were in the other town, was kind of like a bit of an after school hangout, like kids would come over right after school, and they'd spend many hours playing um, in our yard. Which is great, because I think that is one thing I noticed with the homeschool kids, they often really crave that social. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so what I would notice is that the school kids would be more motivated to participate than my own kids with whatever we were doing, like going on an adventure or mechanicking or to doing an activity. And, and, and that, that never really has, has, we've never really figured that out because um, what happens, and I see it with kids that come here to the farm now after school, is they're counting the, the minutes that they have of free time in the day that isn't being stuck in a classroom or on a school bus um, or doing homework or having to go to bed there. And each minute is precious. So I will say, okay, yeah, we'll go, let's say drive the tractor, right? And, and, and I'll tow you guys up the hill to go sliding, which is a super fun thing or snowboarding or skiing or something. But the dishes have to be washed and my kids will be like, oh, okay. And they'll like slowly move. And, 
you know, and then their, their friend from school up right now in there washing these dishes as fast as possible to get out there and have fun. And I remember that as a school kid, man, like I'd, I'd come home after school and it was just like the air was sweet and every minute was precious. And, and I'd throw myself into whatever the fun, like building a tree house or going for a bike ride or whatever. Whereas my kids, it's like, I have to whip them to go for a bike ride or to come out and build a tree house. And we've never, we just finished having a talk with them this morning. And it's a talk we've been having for years. Like the frustration that, um, yeah, it's like they have their, the life is comfortable. And it was not something I foresaw. Like what I thought was going to happen is that I would work my butt off and that they would follow along, that they would want to be with me. And that's kind of that indigenous community philosophy is like you model for the kids. You don't tell them what to do. You go do it and the kids join you, you know? Yeah. They, lead by example. You lead by example and you teach by example. Yeah. Um, my kids, what they do is they go, oh, dad's busy working. I'll sit on my butt on the couch and read a book, right? Or right. do art or whatever. Do you have, uh, um, I'm interested, do you have any, and this may be just the way my mind works, knowing my boys and kind of how I structure the day a little a little bit. It's like, yeah. you, you got this this amount of time and if you get that done, then we're going to go and do this. But if that isn't done, then yeah. you're going to miss out on, you know, this yeah. amount of time we were going to go skiing or biking because you never got that chore finished. And I, I wonder if that's any part of it, but also you're on a farm. So I wonder, do you instill in them a sense of duty in terms of the chores and getting things done? Or are you very much let it happen? Yeah, we try. yeah here's, here's the hard thing for me is, and this is what I was saying to them today. You know, I, I, I will, I struggle to motivate them. Um, and I think part of it, like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say this out loud here, but. But um, my parents made my life miserable at home um, for a lot, a lot large, um, to a large degree when I was a child. And so I was highly motivated to basically do other things that were really good for me. They, they were the highlights of my childhood, basically going camping with friends just on our own, going for bike rides, going hike, hiking, um, building things, playing in the mud, right? Like climbing a tree. Um, gosh, like I, I could go on for, for ages about all these things I did as a kid. Um, and then I, I see uh, other school kids being somewhat similar, right? Like, like they have this hard experience and then they have the opportunity to have this open positive experience and they just lap it up. Uh, whereas my kids, yes, we have rules and we have things like you need to have all your chores done before you can go on your phone, right? Or you need to have, you need to have your animals taken care of before you can do this or that uh, uh and 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 screen nights are only this these days of the week the rest of the nights were if you have free time is card games or board games or something outside um but what ends up happening is you know because i don't spank them or whatever i'm not sure but that's I good don't, don't do that don't because do that. i don't yeah. terrorize them they yeah. know there's no serious serious like consequence and so all it's like everything I'm saying is a request, even if I'm angry and making a demand, it seems to be interpreted as a request. So, so uh, like the other day, I'd say, boys, like I'm running around, super busy. I come in, boys, the fire is out. You got to get it started. Come in an hour later. The fire is still out. Get the fire going right now. Okay, okay, dad. Okay, go out, come back in. The fire is still out. 
boys, come on, get the fire going. I already told you. Oh yeah, sorry. I just, you know, got distracted with my drawing or my Lego or my, you know, I was washing dishes. Coming again, the fire's still out. Four hours later, I just light the friggin' fire myself. And I, and I, and, uh, and that thing happens over and over and over and over again. Like whether it's like telling them to go get kindling or saying, hey, walk your dogs, you know, or hey, I'm going for a walk. Get your stuff on. Yeah, I'm yeah. And I'm walk alone, you know. And how um, old are they? Remind me, they're, thir- 13. they're they're thirteen and fourteen. Oh yeah. well, that well, there you go. That's problem number one. They're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're teenagers, and uh, yeah, they're, they're that's doubly concerning for me though, because I'm like, man, you guys need to be working out. Like you, you can't. Just right. Butts, yeah, right? that's a it's you a really, tough one to get the motivation for sure. Is there any um? Just to put it to somebody else, like, are there any outdoor programs or anything like that in your area that they, that you would consider them having access to down the road? Like, a, I know in Bella Coola, there's the Discovery Camp. I've worked this things like Outward Bound, and there's a great one in Hundred Mile House too, um, Aduco, I think it's called. But I wonder if they have that, you know, whether you've ever or have they ever had that? Have they ever had that kind of? group structured experience even for a very short time for a weekend or something not really no they're interested in it though they just asked me the other day dad did you ever do summer camps and we spent like two hours you know talking about my summer camp experiences from when i was a kid you know oh yeah yeah uh so like they're they're quite interested but i'm just kind of smiling because we're kind of that program here that's what we do we have a youth right program right now and uh, we have people here, you know, five, six, seven days of the week. Um, and uh, yeah, so they have lots of opportunity to interact with, with people and youth uh, through our program and to participate. Um, I should also mention like any of the really recent stories are, are definitely influenced by the fact that we got COVID, our whole family, and we're still recovering. Oh, wow. So that kind of really put a damper on their energy for all of us no right? doubt no doubt yeah. yeah um do they end up mentoring other kids then in that kind of it sounds um, they do yeah yeah I, i've really noticed that they're they're quite good at that like when they're with their peers or people not even the beautiful thing about uh like free school or homeschooled maybe kids uh is they really don't see age right like like they, they just will engage with anybody who wants to engage oh yeah i think that's great yeah and it's just phenomenal and, and it kind of catches people especially other youth off guard like hey why is this guy younger than me talking to me you know but then they love it right and right. uh um and i think it's also part of the indigenous culture um because all our participants are first nations indigenous people um there's a lot more of that communal caring for each other at different ages experience that happens in the in the houses and extended families right. so yeah our kids uh love to teach like noah noah loves to include other people in his mechanicing and his driving and um his growing and um oh i should mention uh the wild harvesting so noah is very passionate about uh plants not just farm plants but also everything that grows in the forest so he will offer uh, other people, including other youth, that information that he has. So he'll, right. he'll say, let's go for, like, he'll walk through the forest and show you everything you can eat. Yeah. You know, everything that's edible and everything that's a food. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. I love it. It's, um, 
Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I love, I love the no school sort of approach. And mm -hmm. um, so do you, with that, because you're giving them so much freedom, um, although it sounds yeah. like they have their chores and such, do you struggle yeah. with things like screen time and social media and gaming? Yes. Like, how do you manage yes. that? Like, what's oh your, goodness, what's your yes. approach? Well, our approach uh, up until last year was that we limited screens. So we, we basically um, uh, would on and off stay, have one screen night a week. Um, but the problem, and I remember a single dad telling me this, he was saying, well, you know what one of the best babysitters is, is a screen. Like if you just really need. Oh yeah. There's a lot of people that do that now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that was definitely our falling down place all the time is like, oh my God, we just need to like turn the kids off for a couple hours right now, put on a movie and then us adults could do what we needed to do. Oh um, yeah. I mean, the amount of times that I put Peppa Pig on at five o'clock in the morning. Yes. I mean, you just, it's just sanity sometimes, you know? It's just sanity. So we struggled with it because then we would do that and then they would beg for it, like all the time begging, like, like when they were really little. Uh, and then uh, what we did with social media is we basically graduated them to social media, almost like a coming of age, like, okay, you're, you're, in, you're turning into an adult and it's basically part of your broad sort of educational experience is going to be social media. So a few years ago, I actually built PCs with them um, from scratch just to sort of teach them about. So if you want to have a social media platform, you yeah. have to build the computer to access it. it. That's good. I like that. Yeah. 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 So we started there and, uh, and then, and then uh, with computer gaming, they had never gamed really so uh i introduced them to basically old games and worked our way up to newer games like donkey my rule for a while because i researched it is basically you can only game with 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 a parent right? right uh we don't want you off online gaming with other kids we want we want to be kind of make it kind of like playing a card game but like this yeah. and that's still what it is we still do that one usually one night a week the boys and i network our our PCs or I'm on a Mac, but you know what I mean? Then we network our computers together and uh, we load up a, a game and we just are hooting and hollering and yelling at each other and insulting each other and complimenting each other. And it's, it's a real blast. Um, and, and my wife puts up with that. She thinks it's fine, right? Like yeah. we're, we're having fun. Um, but social media is a whole other ball of wax. Like I, ha I didn't realize, uh, totally ignorant to the child um, predators that are out there. As soon as we set up Noah's uh, Facebook, he started getting inundated with Facebook messages from 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 uh, predators. Um, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, inundated. And same thing with Ezra. So we had to just as parents, and it, that was fascinating because they told us that that's normal, that that happens to their friends all the time. We talked to the friends' parents, and the friends were not going and talking to their parents. Like the school kids wouldn't right. tell the parents, like, "Hey, I'm getting all these messages." Um, whereas our kids, cause we're so close to them, they came to us right away and we're like, this doesn't seem right. And I look at, Oh my God, no. Yeah. Like, wow. You know, even, even like just sending them pornography and things like that was, was uh, pretty freaky. So I'll say, yeah, kids and social media, like be crazy careful. Can't really be careful enough. Um, um, but yeah, so I went in and researched it and really locked down his privacy settings. Um, yeah on social media just so that strangers couldn't message him it had to be yeah, somebody yeah. he messaged first things like that uh, to kind of cut that out 
Um, but what we're dealing with now is basically screen addiction. So um, we're right in the middle of that, literally right now. Are you? So how many hours a day do you think they're on it? Um, well, yeah, that's a great question. Like, uh, it's hard for me to say. I would say, for example, this morning, they were on it for the whole morning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, for different things, Ezra was doing artwork on, on, on his. Um, but then he also was like, you know, you get distracted and go on my concern with it isn't is that like my view is it can be a really powerful tool so the first rule i started making for noah who's really into it is i you're only can be on there if you're doing creating original content because there's so few original content creators like you um and the vast majority are just consumers so right. you can be on there if you're creating original content you're taking a nice picture and you're posting it to share oh that's a good i like that that's a good rule yeah that was a good rule um and it worked for a while and then he just started sliding away from it um it's a difficult rule to enforce like because it takes your time to go on to his social media sure yeah 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 and if you're busy it slides really easily but but that's one that we've come back and reinforced and i recommend it to parents with kids on social media to be like okay yeah you if you're going to be on there you've got to be creating content not just consuming it um I was going to say, if they're, um, I would imagine if they're just throwing this out there, having worked with some homeschool kids, when they're homeschooling, they inevitably end up needing to access the screen a lot just for informational purposes, right? Yeah. Double-edged sword. And that's another rule we created is that you could be on a screen um, if you're you're learning, right? If you're doing learning time. Yeah. But then what they would do is they'd stretch that right out. And then it would be like, oh, oh yeah, I accidentally, like I was watching this one on, you know, how nuclear fission worked. And then this other one, cute cat video just started playing automatically. And then another <laughs> one, then another one, you know, like, so they'd always Oh yeah, have- the YouTube black hole, isn't it? <laughs> yes. yes. I mean, we're, we're totally like as adults, like I definitely get pulled into that yeah. black hole myself. It's hard totally. to do. Yeah. 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 So I see it as a good opportunity for them to learn. But but as of today, um, we're probably gonna go make uh them go cold turkey for a while. Um and uh we might just shut the devices right down again like we did before, where it's just yeah. If you here's a here's just a thought, because it's something that we've talked about, and I think other people do do it. Um, and maybe I'm picking up picking this up from somebody else, but the idea of just shutting down the Wi-Fi maybe even like one or two nights a week tonight, me and the missus are going to play Scrabble or cards, Uh, call it a date night, but just, we get so, it's so easy to sit down and watch YouTube videos or news or whatever. I guess. So is that what you're thinking? Just shut it down. So at certain times. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is we really want them to be self-disciplining. Like it takes so much of our time and energy to like bug them to do things or discipline them if they do something that's breaking a boundary or, uh, and we really want to get it to the, the point, like especially to prepare them to be adults where you're 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 self-disciplining, like you're yourself imposing your own schedules and 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 prioritizing things properly. And um, and that's again, I've been a bit of a struggle with them, I think, because Jess and I have kind of um tried so hard to make their life as comfortable as it is. Um, just as an example, like if I'm gonna compare like some basic sort of abilities between like myself who had like this sort of traumatic childhood and then my kids who have less traumatic and more supported childhood and, and and a homeschool experience versus my school experience like I my my parents got me cooking 
So I was already cooking and, and definitely cleaning things properly, um, building and constructing things, whether it was like tree forts or fixing my own bike. I fixed my bike all the time. By the time I was their age, I, I was able to do all of these things quite competently on my own, uh, go camping in the bush on my own for, for a full weekend without any adults. Um, and I look at my kids and I go, oh gosh, cooking, no cleaning meh. we've been making them do it oh, really? all childhood, but they're not really good at it you know and like fix fixing things eh, building things no like they you know so uh yeah we're jess and i have definitely sat down and been like okay we feel like we're running out of runway here and maybe it's time to move a kind of funny right like we're actually contemplating going away from the unschooling for uh maybe just the next couple of years with them towards yeah. a bit more of a structured like just because what we've told the boys is there are just some things you really need you know like you really your your, your literacy which they're the reading is excellent off the charts they started they could read by kindergarten right yeah. but they both resisted writing um and like really resisted um to the point where i don't know if they can fill in a form at the hospital right right um uh math they they both like have something against math and 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 we've kind of allowed them to like okay yeah well you know you'll figure it out when you get there you know but now i'm like oh gosh they're like 13 and 14 like i think they should learn math right um, right uh so yeah as you can see there's things that, that we're concerned about like cooking right like right Cooking is important, I think, you know, like, I mean, uh, to be fair, I couldn't, I could not cook anything when I went to, I did go to university when I was like 18 and uh, yeah. I, I didn't know how to, I literally didn't know how to boil potatoes. So I wouldn't worry too much. They'll figure okay. out. Okay. But figure can you cook out. now? Did you learn after 18? I'm, or I'm not bad. Awesome? Not bad. I, yeah. yeah. I must admit the missus does more cooking than me, but <laughs> if I had to adventure yeah. tourism, when I was guiding, I had to cook. That's where I really learned to cook a decent right. meal. To be out because I had to, um, really? but I think well, you kind of said it already earlier on that really up until twelve, like that year, those younger years are so important to play and explore, and yeah. and they've had that right, like they've had yeah. a really wholesome upbringing where they've learned yeah. so much. So yeah, why why not for a couple of years maybe going to you know a more structured. Oh. The the big news is that they're going to high school next year. Um, oh yeah, yeah, our oldest. Noah really lobbied. He he said he'd never go to school. Like he hates school, never go to school. They yeah. did have a school experience when we were in Vancouver. They went to school for a year, um, but it was an alternate school. So he he became really anti-school. And um, even into September, October, he was like, I'm never going to school. And then it flipped. And he went, I really want to go to school. And part of it was this, him wanting to be with other kids finally, like him really right. wanting it. Yeah, yeah. And so we supported that and we allowed him to go to school. Um, and then we he only went for a couple of weeks and then COVID hit really hard in our area and, and we right. took him out again. And I've yeah, since yeah. told the school he's not going back until next year. But he loved it. And he came back with um these wonderful stories um that he would tell around the dinner table and his younger brother was listening and it just lit him right up. He's like, um, I'm going to school too. So oh, yeah. it reminded me, like dad september where we're both going to high school no i think that's great because i think you've given them that freedom and that to explore and figure out who they are they've got their passions it's clear from what i've seen of them in the articles that you shared online and now you're yeah letting them 
yeah, make that choice, make that leap, see how it goes, right? And then reassess. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, 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 the way we've raised them to be so close, it's really amazing. Uh, it's kind of weirds out other parents how um, they almost don't, they, not almost, they don't believe um, the relationship that we have with our boys, that our boys essentially never lie to us, as an example. Yeah. Um, they'll be completely honest. Um, and uh, and it's, the heart-to-hearts that we have make decision-making relatively easy because we know what they're feeling like the fact that my both my 13 and 14 year old still just want a heart-to-heart hug with their dad is is a real uh one blessing that's a wonderful thing for me uh to experience and i feel really lucky to have that relationship with my teenage boys yeah um, that real heart-to-heart and and the honesty is is wonderful too because you know i was kind of half teasing saying to Noah, oh, you just wanted to go to school for the girls. And he's like, yeah, actually, that's why I want to go to school. You know, like fully on it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you'd say something like, like the wife and I'd be like, yeah, you got raging hormones. You're, you're probably thinking about, you know, what is, what is, how often do teenagers think about sex? Like every like 14 seconds, he's like, something crazy. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's, that's about right. He's like, yeah, I think about it all the time. <laughs> like, he's just really honest, right? And, uh, and that's really a wonderful thing. Like, we don't tease or yeah, yeah. whatever. It's just like, like, that's great. That really, like, honest, open, kind of uh, truthful thing is, 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 is really lucky. And I, so we both feel like we could uh, be fine with them going to school. We always thought it was their choice and they chose yeah. not to go um when they're old enough to really think about it and choose they chose not to and now they're choosing to go and we feel like okay that they're going to be fine yeah you know they're going to have a hard time and they're going to have all these experiences but that that um we have a relationship that's solid enough um that uh we can help them you know totally i think it's right i think that the key is having worked with lots of kids only in an outdoor education sort of setting but the home life is so important. The parenting is so key to the yeah. success of the kids. And if, you, if you're scratching your head over a couple of kids that may be one way or the other, are difficult, not difficult, but whatever, you meet the parents and it always becomes clear. You will see it. You're like, oh, that's why that kid's like that. Yeah. It's kind of a big part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here, here's a question for you. Um, just to wind down. Yeah. What advice would you have um for a new parent someone who's about an expectant father or or parent mom or dad but what would be some key advice you'd have yeah that's a great question so to an expecting father i would say um that my advice and other people's advice um aren't going to directly apply to you you're going to have completely your own experience you don't know who you're going to get what kind of human you're going to get um and I'm not just talking gender, I'm talking beyond gender. I'm talking about, um, you know, the, the spirit and the makeup and the disposition and the, the, the gifts and abilities and interests of that person um, and just their personality, who they are. Um, and that I highly recommend, um, if needed, uh, personal therapy of some kind to process your own shame your own uh, trauma your own baggage your own beliefs start to challenge them um so that you're able to connect and be present and make more intuitive decisions uh with your child uh, that you're not projecting onto them 
that would be i think that yeah I, you know what as you're saying that i totally relate to that and you've i really appreciate how open you've been and honest mm-hmm. talking to you today because you have mentioned about going to counseling and i have to say i've been the same I've been to counseling about how to attach to my kids. Me and my wife have been to counseling about not even necessarily because there was something wrong, but just, you know what? There's professionals out there that, that do, they can help you kind of figure out some of the issues and the arguments that come up in everyday life. But yeah, just to understand yourself better mm-hmm. because really, yeah, it, it, your kids are a mirror of who you are in so many ways. That I think, um, yeah, I think it is important to just do that. It's a constant growth and learning. I think that's how I find it. Anyway, I find like I'm always learning and growing as a person. I'm 46 now, but I'm still, I'm still figuring myself out, you know, and I think it's a never ending thing, right? I think so too. I mean, for me, it's, it's still, I'm still grappling with my own childhood. Like I said, I, I, uh, I keep thinking I'm hoping I'm further along, you know, I, 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 maybe push myself a little too hard um but you you ever hear that what's it called it's this really interesting um concept and it's it's about bias like you know it came from world war ii with the bombers coming back and they were looking at where the bullet holes were and, and saying okay we've got to armor um where those bullet holes are and then a mathematician was like wait you guys are doing this backwards these are the planes that have returned and was able to take the bullets and came back you need to pay attention to the planes that didn't come back and where the bullets were hitting and armor those areas so that what they did is they started mapping bullet holes and finding out that the returning planes it it showed very clear gaps where where there were no bullet holes and where those planes that were being hit in that spot were the ones that were going down and so instead of armoring the bullet hole parts of planes they needed to armor the ones that weren't because that's what where they weren't surviving. Um, I don't remember the name of that, but it, it it's a good metaphor, I think, for our own personal uh, journey. Because for the first, I would say, uh, nearly twenty years of therapy, I've been focusing on what I can remember. I've been like, kind of focusing on the bullet holes, and uh, and it's been hard to, you know, I, I've been improving in leaps and bounds, and like I'm not discrediting myself. But where I've come to at this age of 42, 43 is still struggling with these deep triggers and traumas. You know, there's movies I can't watch because they remind me too much of my childhood, for example. And it would be a real sign of like healing that I could watch it, right? And so I'm like, okay, I'm not quite there. And a therapist recently gave me perspective and it was kind of like that bullet hole thing. He's like, well, maybe the darkest part of the child, your childhood are the things you can't remember. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. Like maybe your childhood was actually a whole lot worse than you remember. And I, and that was just like that whole, like, right. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Right. I, I, I've been sort of working around my memories and doing these um, PTSD therapies to kind of lower my triggers around, around these things that I can kind of remember and get triggered around right. forgetting right. that there's like these blind spots where, where, where I'm, I'm, I don't have a um, memory and it could have been a lot worse, but that the, the body remembers and the body responds. Um, so that's kind of like, I feel like I've, I'm still turning corners in my forties here and, and having these big kind of realizations like, oh yeah. And that feel right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 am really careful not to say, oh, you need to do this or you need to do right. that to other people. But yeah. I just think no matter what, like, like, um, healing 
and coming to this more mature what by, by just that simple definition of maturity which is being less being less selfish and and and, and making decisions based on sort of people that you love and care about not just yourself right um, and how important that is as a parent um, you know like deciding to homeschool our kids is leaps and bounds harder than sending them to school for us as parents it's way more work it's way more stressful much less sleep um, no time off like there's no free babysitting that school provides yeah that, yeah that uh, so anyways it's it's it, it, it's a big one. Um, I want to say one more thing, and I don't know if you if you've tracked this down. Let me know because I've been trying to track it down. It was on CBC years ago, and it was a com, uh, com, culmination of a uh, long term study. And it they were interviewing the lead scientist, and it was all around children and two different styles of parenting and the long term effects of it. And this, and this is, a, and I'll try and describe it. And, and um, uh, I've been hunting for it and I can't track it down, but it was just gold because what it was is they were comparing controlling parenting styles, like what I'd call the old fashioned parenting styles that are still very prevalent in where I live. And then um, less controlling parenting styles, like, like kind of what we've been trying to do, like the unschooling and letting kids dictate and, and stand up for themselves in the home, things like that. And this had a huge impact on me because what he said, the scientist was just amazing. He said, when you're on what they found that 15 years of the study is that the controlled children were great little, little kids, very few incidents. And then they were terrible teenagers and adults. Basically, they start with, started engaging in risky behavior, dangerous behavior, um, um, didn't have very good jobs, et cetera. And then the, um, the, the less controlled children, um, they were very difficult to small children, like, like lots of energy, lots of time, lots of incidents. And then, and, and then as teenagers, they, they leveled right out and were, were basically these more peaceful teenagers. And then uh, same thing as adults. And the interviewer on the radio was hilarious because he was just a kind of incredulous. Like, what do you mean? Like, you just let kids, like what? He's, he's like, I go shopping with my my child, he says, and my child starts screaming for this cereal that they want on the shelf. And what am I supposed to do? Just let them scream at me? And the researcher's like, well, what our research is showing is, yeah, uh, your first step would be to look at yourself and why you would want to stop the child from screaming. He said, because you're probably wanting to stop the child from screaming because you feel embarrassed. Embarrassed, yeah. And ashamed. Because he said there's really this child, screaming child isn't damaging anything. So let, he said you would just let them scream and, re, and recognize that the only reason you want them to stop is entirely how you're feeling as an adult inside. <laughs> and I was just <laughs> like, what? Wow. <laughs> yes. True. Right. And so my wife and I have this code word that we tell each other every once in a while when we feel like our kind of inner child taking over and like, like who's the adult? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Who's the adult? Right, I'm the adult now. Damn it! Right. <laughs> yeah, it's so. it's tricky, isn't it? Like, there's no. Yeah, you just have to. I think you made a really good point. You don't know who's coming out. You don't know what gift they have. You know. Yeah. You know. You don't know how every kid's going to react differently to the way. There's no one way of raising a kid. 
that's so right i do try and take notice of like what works and what doesn't two boys that i have five years difference very different you know different approaches totally. one's like very sensitive and he's like rambunctious but he was always really good at listening and you can always just talk to him and reason with him and he could reason with you i would say it kind of works both ways the other one i don't know it's just like yeah just kind of get ready for the whirlwind and just look <laughs> you know and he he has that energy to steam you know the steam that he needs to sort of like get out of. and then what i've noticed with him in the younger one he's only two but he's interestingly we say he's got all his words but he is going to daycare a bit because both of us are having to work um yeah. but he's got full full sentences but he's like also really in his body just tearing terrorizing the house but <laughs> you kind of need to say something to him and then give him about a minute to think about it yeah. and then he, then he'll come then he'll do whatever he, you know you've kind of asked him what you're trying to goad him into doing but it's just that stubborn and you're like That'll probably be really useful for him down the road, but you just kind of have to let him be how he is in that sense. A couple, a couple quick tips I would have. Uh, you just reminded me, and I think they're important. So you asked early on about how we basically let the kids kind of push back or, you know, um, have their voice or stand up to us while still needing to, you know, go grocery shopping and have a life, you know. Um, so one thing we would do, uh, I did all the time for kids, I called them energy shifts. So if there was like a lot of resistance or anger or upset, uh, I would just be like, Oh, can we do an energy shift? And if they consented to it, I would do something to physically shift the energy. Like my, my, and they were different the boys are really different from each other. So my youngest, I'd pick them up and like swing them around or something and then hug them and then put them down and he'd be shifted. Um, so that's something we still, I still do like uh, with them. I'm like, okay, guys, time for an energy shift, right? Like, let's go split wood or let's go for a walk or. Right. You know, it could be run around the house or, two times or something. Yeah, exactly. Is something yeah. changed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I highly recommend energy shifts. Um, the other thing I did with the boys that really helped me and them when they were smaller and growing up is, is uh, we would do a morning routine where we dance um, with like nobody's watching because nobody was. We'd draw all the blinds, put on music and just dance and that would really help us all that's uh that's my that's my wife right there yeah <laughs> he's a in indy our little one he's a real dancer it was really outside my comfort zone but i i, I started doing it with them and it was just magic <laughs> me too fun. me too um, i'm like <laughs> shuffling on the in the sidelines but they're just like woo, just, just like crazy. it was all inner shame though because as long as nobody's watching and i could really like convince myself that nobody's ever going to see this then i'm going to just let it all out and, <laughs> And then I'd have a better day. Um, yeah, the the other thing, like when kids are um, really angry, like my boys are really angry as, as little kids, they often just needed to be reminded that they're loved. And so I, I really went overboard with that. Like I would just say, hey, can I give you a hug? Like, oh, you're having a really hard time. Can I just like give you a hug? And that's another one last thing I want to say that was a big shift for me is having asking the kids and getting their consent, which is a small thing that was made a big difference for me so i'll give you an example a really good one trying to get my three-year-old out the door dressed who's just digging in his heels and saying no and screaming and fighting it um uh and it just felt really wrong to be screaming and fighting but being like oh, we really gotta go so what i did and i don't remember who taught me this but it made a huge shift is i would just kind of crouch down and i'd say you know what sweetie i really want you to come like would you would you choose to come with me? Um, because I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. 
And he would say, yes. He'd say, oh, okay. And I remember the first time I did it, it totally shocked me that it worked. And so, and then he was so super like, like he went from fighting me tooth and nail and screaming and hitting me and all this stuff, like little, little, like two or three, right? Like a really little guy. And I'm putting him in his like multi-strap car seat, right? And I'm putting him in and I'm saying, so to Ezra, uh, what made you change your mind? Like, why did you say yes? You see, and he just like sweetly said, oh, because you said you wanted me. And, and so I wanted to come. I was like, wow, that's all it took. That right? love, and, love and connection, they're feeling the love and connection there. Yeah, like, yeah. And giving him, making him like, like saying like, I want to be with you, but also kind of asking and get, letting it really be his choice to say yes. Be going from like, you have to come, like, yeah. come on, let's go, let's go now. Yeah. And just shifting it to, hey, I would really like to be with you and I want you to come. Would you come with me? Changes it because then he, even as this little, little guy, he's like, yeah, I do. And then once the consent's given, He's just like coming along, like jackets, boots, gloves. Yeah, car, going in the car seat. Yeah, he... I really like that. That's a good one. I my my tactic is fun. Again, it's yeah. the outdoor ed. I just use twenty years. Sometimes I feel like the twenty years of outdoor education has just kind of like got me ready to be a dad because I feel like <laughs> I use all these little tricks. But I yeah. like that one. I haven't tried, but I feel like it's that's kind of more his mum sort of approach. But <laughs> I'll mention that to her. That kind. Of, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You give it a try. I mean, that and the connection, like with both my boys, like being able to just like physically, you know, sometimes when they would start raging, sometimes I'd know that they're just really feeling something else. And as men, we tend to learn, and this is an emotional life of the boys book, we're taught by our parents to cover up feelings that are unmanly with manly feelings. So if you're feeling sad, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling ashamed, you're feeling guilty um you know then you cover it up with anger and rage and violence and then that's kind of okay like it's okay if you're a man to be beating on somebody but it's not okay to be crying and sad yeah you, know, then you yeah. get shamed for it so yeah. um so often i would work with my kids like pick them up and say oh just is it are you actually feeling sad and they're just saying that like just feeling like it's true and, and i remember hugging my son once and just being like because he was just really freaking out and i and i kind of got a hit like no he's actually sad about something and I'm picking up and saying are you sad and then he immediately started crying when he was really little so immediately started crying and saying yeah you know yeah okay yeah, why yeah. oh i so-and-so had to leave and i didn't want them to leave and i missed them you know yeah okay yeah. <laughs> you know no it's so, great it's like you're giving them permission to to have those feelings yeah and not yeah. To, there's actually um just mention it i mentioned this the other week to someone um i don't know if you have netflix i think it's yeah. certainly on netflix but the mask did you ever see the mask like that old old jim carrey one or some other one? no 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 there's a documentary and it's all about raising boys oh yeah 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 i've yeah, never yeah. actually watched it i've seen the trailer uh yeah. but i should me and sage should watch it because we've got something say again is it the masks we wear or something? It was recommended to me and I can't remember if we watched yeah, it. It might be. I just remember it being, yeah. And the, the trailer's great. The trailer's all about these teenage boys saying like, you know, I've, I've always been told to like, to man up or to be brave. And, you know, because it's almost saying like, it's not okay to cry. Like, come on, yeah. shake it off, shake it off. You're good. Stop yeah. crying. And yeah. I, found, I found myself with the two-year-old doing that a couple of times where I'm just like, come on, dude, you don't need to cry. And I'm like, no, 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 he needs to get it out yeah we're so conditioned growing up totally yeah yeah well thanks yeah. man. Thanks. 
thanks so much for um for sharing it's been great to hear your story and uh thanks for being so open and honest as well with with your experiences growing up yeah you're welcome i mean that's kind of where i'm getting to i'm, I'm getting more open about it and uh less kind of ashamed or looking for, for like i don't know something <laughs> just be like here it is <laughs> yeah but you know what it's it's almost again giving permission to other dads and parents to just just be like this is what i've been going through this is what my experience so that we kind of start to open up and engage in a way that's more authentic you know i think it's really important well i'll let okay. you get back to the farm thank you uh, great to you. connect man yeah, yeah thanks jacob and now for a check-in with my favorite psychologist and fellow dad todd kettner so I had a really nice conversation with um, Jacob um, and I really liked listening to his stories um, about his, you know, the challenges that he faced uh, as a child um, with the school and the fact that I love the fact that he's now moved his family, um, you know, him and his wife have moved their, their two boys up into this, um, created this farm uh, in a beautiful area, beautiful part of BC and the kids are homeschooling. So he wants to give them, you know, a comfortable upbringing, a really safe environment where they can homeschool. And, you know, it sounds like they're going to end up going to school in the next year or so. Um, but he's having trouble with the motivation of getting these teenagers sometimes motivated to to do their chores, essentially. Now, I know you've raised two kids and I think one may be still a teenager just, but you have this experience firsthand. And I have some as an outdoor educator, but... Uh, what advice have you got? I laugh because I know how hard it can be just to get a teenager out of bed in the morning. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You, you were spot on when you uh, told your buddy Jacob, you know, what about the possibility of getting external adult mentors, motivators, soccer coaches, uh, employers, right? Part-time job working for somebody else who sort of trains them to show up and, uh, um, keep motivating, keep going until until the closing bell rings. Um, it it can be really helpful to have those external uh, adult right. sort of people providing structure and encouragement and motivation. And it's a transition to the real world. So I would yeah. absolutely echo that uh, advice that you gave him. A couple of other things come to mind. One is just super simple and practical. You talked about uh, there are a couple of ages a couple years apart the boys i think they're 12 and 13 if yeah, i yeah. give me Jake, if i got that wrong but i think that's right 12 and 13 yeah is if they don't already have something and i'm guessing they do if they're homeschooling they probably have something already a whiteboard or a chalkboard with daily schedule or tasks so just having something that's visible to everybody in the family all at the same time and then you get away from arguments well you know he did it last time or he hasn't done it for a week and i do it all the time i'm not making the your right. example of uh, making the fire you just put it on the chalkboard kids names they check it off when they've done it and if it's unequal then there's no arguing about it oh i forgot to write my mark well then i guess it's your turn if you forgot right yeah um so then they're sort of motivating each other in uh, a nagging way that removes the parents from the nagging and in a competitive way right because often we don't want to be left behind our siblings so that's one practical thing the other two are just uh food and friends are motivators right so if it's <laughs> yeah. you know i'm not necessarily talking about you know three m&ms for every chore done but what i am talking you know saying is planning ahead of time 
hey, you know what? We're going to go out and we're uh, roasting sausages on the fire this this evening. And these are the things that need to happen before we go out there and build that fire. Right. You know? Yeah, with check, the outdoor, check, check. outdoor education stuff I used to do, uh, used to use the phrase, and I'm not alone in this, I'm sure, but consequences, actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if there is always your action, is if, if it's a negative one, there will be a consequence. Like maybe we don't do that thing on you know, we don't go to the cinema. We were planning to go to the cinema, but you've let yourself down because you didn't do this. Like, is there a negative side of that? Like, is that a good tactic or is that something that could be taken a little, a little too far? Uh, any good thing we do as parents can be taken too far. Absolutely. <laughs> but it, it's a good tactic. And especially if it's on balance, um, an incentive rather than uh, a punishment, right? So not going to the cinema, you know, if you've said it, stick to it right got to keep those boundaries otherwise they quickly become meaningless especially with teenagers on the other hand um hey how about if we do this and that and then we'll go to the cinema when those things are done it's the same uh you know it's the same yes or no but you're getting them to work towards a yes right so yeah, yeah. it's like at work, right? We we show up at work regularly. We get a paycheck every two weeks or a month or whatever your schedule is. We don't have, um, you know, the boss saying to us, "If you if you don't show up to work, I'm not going to give you a paycheck." Yeah, right. We're yeah, saying yeah. if you showed up to work, you get a paycheck. So it's it's in the phrasing and the framing of it. Right. And then similarly, um, orchestrating, and sometimes you can be as sly as you know. 007 espionage here orchestrating with other parents the uh uh, teen to teen interactions and and thinking of other kids in the community you know that are maybe motivated for certain activities or sports or you know they've got their own little kindling chopping business you know and and finding ways to foster that because at this age uh friends are often more motivating than parents and so you know, I think of right. examples of my own kids um, skiing more when they're hanging out with their skiing friends or um, trying to trying to, you know, do preseason workouts to make the rep soccer team because their best friend is doing it. It's not it's not uh, mom, uh, mom yeah. or dad pressuring them at that point. It's mom or dad sort of slyly in the background uh, making opportunities for those, um, you know, motivating peers to to be in the same environment and to come over to the house for milk and cookies and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, great. Thanks so much again, Todd, um, for some great feedback there. And uh, fingers crossed that Jacob can get those boys to start making the fire. On a more yeah, basis. for sure. And you know, Jacob's feeling what we all, what we all feel as parents of teenagers and finding our way. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, not for alone. Sure. That's for sure. Not at all. Yeah, Not at all. Right. Thanks so much, Todd. We'll see, see you again soon. All right. Talk soon. Bro. Thanks for joining us this week on Dad Without Borders. A full list of episodes can be found at dadwithoutborders.com. And for updates, follow on Instagram at dadwithoutborders. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google, or radio.com. While you're at it, if you enjoyed listening or you know any dads that might find value in this show, please share the podcast with your friends. Dad Without Borders will be back next week with another dad and further insights with Todd Kettner.